Hello, and welcome to Book Club of One. I am Jacob, a librarian, and through the course of a year I read a lot of books. Join me as I detail and share my impressions of the books that have entertained or educated me the most. We're back, still in February. So Forest of Noise, if you haven't noticed, has not updated very regularly this year. Uh, I'd like to, but it might not happen until mid to late March. I have a few things I'm working on that are in progress, but I don't know how soon they'll be available. But I do plan to continue it when I am possible. I was not able to finish Land Aching Hearts to be included in this episode, but I expect it will be in our next episode. Part of why is I've been continuing to read the Outlander series. I'm in book five, and for those of you in that series know that the first 240 pages, at least in the paperback edition, cover the events of one day, which I have finally finished. But anyways, on to our featured book. So our first book for this episode is Stamped from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America, by Ibram X. Kendi who is an American historian, a National Book Award winner, and the number, a number one New York Times bestseller. He is also the Andrew W. Mellon Professor in the Humanities and the founding director of the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research, as well as a contributing writer at The Atlantic and a CBS News correspondent. His works have received the National Book Award for Nonfiction in 2016, National Books Critics Circle Award nominee for General Nonfiction 2016, and the Hurston Wright Legacy Award nominee for nonfiction, all of those for that book, Stamped from the Beginning, those last three. So I came across Stamped from the Beginning from having read How to Be an Anti-Racist in 2020, and if you're curious, the July 2020 episode features the review of that, and it mentioned this work extensively. So Stamped from the Beginning it, uh, uses the lives and works of five individuals to chronicle the entire story of anti-Black racist ideas and their staggering power over the course of American history. Those five major American intellectuals offer a window into the contentious debates between assimilationist and segregationist and between racist and anti-racist. From Puritan minister Cotton Mather to Thomas Jefferson, from fiery abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison to brilliant scholar W.E.B. Du Bois to legendary anti-prison activist Angela Davis. Kendi shows how and why some of our leading pro-slavery, pro-civil rights thinkers have challenged or helped cement racist ideas in America. And while this is a lengthy book, it does effectively and continually demonstrate the role of racism to suppress resistance to racial discrimination and its resulting racial disparities. So the problems we are still facing in our society have a long history, and the way we talk about them well, certainly hasn't changed, but the way that the policies or actions take place has evolved and changed over the time. Kendi does take time during the narrative to detail anti-racist thought and action throughout these different areas where it took place and there's demonstrable evidence of it. But often it is the story of those in power doing what they feel would best benefit them, not necessarily what is right or what is equal. Uh, I read that, as I stated earlier, I read this after 
reading How to Be an Anti-Racist, but if possible, I suggest reading this first to give you a better grounding or background of the long history of racism in the United States and would make uh, Kendi's arguments and positions in anti-racist much more compelling and clear. And it's also a point to say, we are all individuals with our own perspectives and understandings, but we cannot change fact or reality. We are all human and should work to make equality of humans a conscious goal. Something that seems very difficult with our current political structure, but we should and can do better. Completely Shifting Gears, featured book two, ties in to possibly some Valentine's Day themes, but it is Ghoster by Jason Arnop, a white English author, YouTuber, and scriptwriter with a background in journalism. This is his second full-length novel. I came across Ghoster through the AV Club, where they had an article interviewing or having various staff members write in to talk about what books they were reading, and one of them featured this one. And Ghoster is about Kay Collins, who has been ghosted. She was supposed to be moving in with her new boyfriend, Scott, but all she finds after relocating to, the Bright to Brighton is an empty flat. Scott has vanished. His possessions have all disappeared, except for his mobile phone. Kate knows she shouldn't hack into Scott's phone. She shouldn't look at his Tinder, his texts, his social media. But she can't quite help herself. That's when the trouble starts. Strange whispering phone calls from numbers she doesn't recognize. Scratch marks on the door she can't explain. So throughout the work, it's engaging, but slightly too long. So if you can make it through the first hundred pages of Scott and Kate meeting, falling in love, getting to know one each other, talking about their lives and what's led them to, to move in together, the rest of it does flow pretty well. But again, it does... It is a little long. It is a, a, a mainly a horror book, but it also does equal time to a mystery where Kate Collins trying to figure out where'd Scott go? What happened to him? So for much of the time, it leans much more into to the mystery until things ratchet up to a certain intensity and then the horror aspects become much stronger. It is a clever premise, but it, it, it continually reads as a critique uh, or criticism on social media and the way we use it. And granted, a lot of the ways we use it is bad for us and not good, but it became very repetitive of, oh, here's Kate Collins, can't get up out of bed because she's too busy scrolling through her social media feeds because she's addicted. So good for a fun, not serious read, particularly around Valentine's Day or Halloween. And there is a, a clear convincing resolution, if, if that's something you look for in your horror. Book three brings us back to one of my favorite subjects, World War I. So the book is The Burning of the World by Bela Zambore Moldovan, a Hungarian painter, illustrator, graphic artist, and the principal of the Budapest School of Applied Arts from 1935 until his dismissal by the communist regime in 1946. It was translated by his grandson, Peter Zombori Moldovan, who lives in London. Peter has also co-translated Arthur Schnitzler's Dance and is working on a new version of Bertolt Brecht's Fear and Misery of the Third Reich for the English stage. 
I first heard of this book through a newspaper clipping about World War I books my parents had given me. And The Burning of the World is about the artist, Bella Zombore, on holiday when he first heard news of World War I breaking out in July 1942. Called up by the army, he soon found himself hundreds of miles away, advancing on Russian lines and facing relentless rifle and artillery fire. Badly wounded, he returned to normal life, which now struck him as unspeakably strange. He had witnessed, he realized, the end of a way of life of a whole world. So in, in reading this book, uh, unfortunately it's short. It seems to be the first portion of what Bella was planning to write as his memoirs, but it does I don't know recall from the introduction if he finished them or not. But it is a non-Western Front depiction of the start of the First World War. So it's Bella kind of greets the news of war with indifference because he's on vacation and then going home, struggling to know if he should enlist and when he does, what that means for his family. But he also reflects on the excitement of others and the, the adjustments Hungary was trying to make. Just a little bit of the historical background, Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated uh, and it was is seen as the trigger for the war because uh, Austria-Hungary then released an ultimatum to Serbia a good month, almost a good month after the assassination. And Serbia agreed to all but one of the demands meant to have negotiating Austria-Hungary declared war, due in part to the perception of Germany giving them unconditional support. Uh, overall, it covers about a year in the life of Bella. So from right before the start of the war, the outbreak of war, his first experience in combat, his injury, and then his return to recuperate as a civilian, and then his eventual non-combatant military role. But it, it is most powerful in the exploration and his recollections of that combat experience, of struggling to make sense of where the enemy was, keep himself safe under shelling, and then being wounded, trying to get the support he needs and make sure that he and his fellow wounded weren't left behind. So. Our fourth book is The Neil Gaiman Library, Volume 1. It is written by, of course, Neil Gaiman a white English author of short fiction, novels, comic books, graphic novels, nonfiction, audio theater, and films, and probably some other things that I did not list within there. He is a very prolific artist. His best-known works include the comic book series The Sandman and novels Stardust, American Gods, Coraline, and The Graveyard Book. He has won numerous awards, including the Hugo, Nebula, and Brand Stoker Award, as well as the Newbery and Carnegie Medals. He is the first author to win both the Newbery and the Carnegie Medals for the same work, The Graveyard Book, published in 2008. This volume contains four graphic novels collected into one place, and they feature the following illustrators. First, P. Craig Russell, a white American comic book artist, writer, and illustrator. His work has won multiple Harvey and Eisner awards, and he was the first mainstream comic book creator to come out as openly gay. Rafael Alberque uh, is a Brazilian comic book art 
creator, primarily for his, known primarily for his artwork on titles such as DC Comics Blue Beetle and is illustrator and co-creator of American Vampire. Fabio Moon is a Brazilian comic book artist best known for his work on Casanova with Matt Fraction and Date Tripper. He is the twin brother of Gabriel, who Gabriel Ba, our last illustrator listed here, is a Brazilian comic book artist best known for his work on the Umbrella Academy, working with Fabio on Casanova and Day Tripper, and again, he is the twin brother of Fabio. So I don't recall initially where I heard of the book being released. It's possible it came through a Dark Horse uh, feature email. I'm on their mailing list, so it could have been mentioned there. But the volume one of the Neil Gaiman Library collects four of Gaiman's standalone works published by Dark Horse, or gathered in this case by Dark Horse. So, and those are A Study in Emerald, A Familiar Detective Finds Himself at the Heart of a Lovecraftian Nightmare on Baker Street. Two, it's Murder Mysteries, A Strange Man Delves into the Heartbreaking Mystery of a Divine Murder in Paradise. And three, How to Talk to Girls at Parties. Two teenage boys find that approaching girls can lead to more danger than romance. And the final story is Forbidden Brides of the Faceless Slaves in the Secret House of the Night of Dread Desire. A verbose gothic writer finds his true calling amidst family duels and drudgery. So of those four featured stories in this volume, uh, I'd already read A Study in Emerald and How to Talk to Girls at Party pre previously. But the stories in a whole, and really any of Gaiman's work, are often nice blends of fantastical and horror tales. So the murder mysteries is probably the most upsetting one for what it could be implying. And again, Gaiman does often write fantastical, creative stories that stray clear of cliché, but they still play with the conventional tropes. Uh, so, for example, Murder Mysteries is a story within a story. Uh, and this, again, this is Volume 1. There is also Volume 2 that was published last year and a Volume 3 forthcoming. But considering the two, I found Volume 2 more to my liking, but that could have been uh, because it, had, it contained likely stories or a string of bizarre occult events befall strangers from all walks of life who meet in a bar, or Troll Bridge, a young boy followed by monsters and regrets that last a lifetime. I found those two much more powerful, but again, I hadn't read of the four in the volume two. I had not read as many. One of the great things about this series is beyond just having all four stories in a single volume, is they do provide some extras. So there's the sketch art and the uh, storyboarding, as well as interviews with the creators. So either we have Neil Gaiman talking about maybe his influences in writing them, or we have the illustrators discussing what influenced them or how they considered the different elements of the story. So anyone interested in graphic arts, particularly as it pertains to graphic novels, or has enjoyed Gaiman's other works, we'll find things to like here. And our last book of the episode is Speedboat. It was written by Renata Adler, a white American journalist, author, and critic. She was a staff writer, reporter for the New Yorker, and in 1968-69, she served as chief film critic for the New York Times. She's published two novels, Speedboat and Pitch Dark, and Speedboat was awarded the Penn Hemingway Foundation Award in 1977 and the National Books Critics Circle Award nominee for fiction in 1976. 
The version I read also featured an afterword by Guy Trebay, a white American New York Times reporter and critic. I came across this one just as one of the ebooks available through my local library's collection. And Speedboat is a series of scenes and anecdotes written or observed by the journalist Jen Fain as she negotiates the fraught landscape of contemporary urban America. Party guests, taxi drivers, brownstone dwellers, professors, journalists, presidents, and debutantes fill these dispatches from the world. So again, as noted with those scenes and anecdotes, it's a book organized into sections made of fragments. Some fragments reoccur in those uh, sections or reference other content. And at times, it seems like reading Social, uh, reading through a social media where you see continual snippets of stories that might link to other things you've seen on the page or might not. They might just be little bits of weirdness in life. And it does center around New York life, American life in the 1970s. So some things might seem a little, not quite quaint, but certainly of a time now past. And throughout the book, it is clear that time is passing because uh, the narrator Fane does talk about the changes in a relationship and life. And you get the sense that there is a passage as things change, as she moves or does different things for work. But beyond that, there isn't really so much of a clear pop plot. It's just someone living their life, occasionally sharing bits of, of, of it. Certainly one of the most unique books I've read this year. And if you decide to read it, try to read no more than one section per, per session, set, sitting the recession, because it helps, might help things become more clear, or you see the repetition a little more easily. Uh, we've talked about Jenny Offill's book, and it's, it seems that this was definitely something of, of influence to her. That's all the books for this week's episode, but here are two books I'm hoping to read before we record the next episode. The first is The Echo Wife by Sarah Gailey. I'm embarrassed still by how long it took me to notice. Everything was right there in the open, right there in front of me, but it still took me so long to see the person I had married. It took me so long to hate him. Martine is a genetically cloned replica made from Evelyn Caldwell's award-winning research. She's patient and gentle and obedient. She's everything Evelyn swore she'd never be, and she's having an affair with Evelyn's husband. Now the cheating is dead, and both Caldwell wives have a mess to clean up. Good thing Evelyn Caldwell is used to getting her hands dirty. And the other reading soon book is The Long Trail, What the Soldiers Sang and Said in the Great War of 1914 to 1918 by John Brophy and Eric Partridge. It consists of an informative and entertaining introduction, a collection of songs, ribald sentimental satiric made up by unknown soldiers, and a fascinating glossary of soldier slang. The authors, 1914 volunteers, were both infantrymen, and they started on this book while they were still close to the First World War. So thanks for listening, and here comes the outro. This has been another episode of Book Club of One. Thank you for listening. I welcome constructive criticism and book recommendations, or even if you found a book through this episode and want to share the story, feel free to reach out through Instagram and Gmail at Book Club of Uno. Book Club of One is recorded and distributed by Anchor.fm. And remember, 
no one should be shamed for reading.